Hey, Rockbridge, I want to welcome everybody at all of our six locations and also those of you online. Glad that you are here as we're continuing in our series called Ripple Effect. But before we get to that, I just want to remind everybody that in December, December the 7th, so the week after Thanksgiving, uh, or we have our first Wednesday service. And just to remind you that also that's kind of our annual where we have a little church business meeting, talk about our budget and some other kind of family dynamics going on with inside of Rockbridge. So just want to encourage you, uh, make First Wednesday a priority. So uh, also, we're, we've been navigating since August through every verse in this incredible book called First Corinthians, which we've entitled Ripple Effect. Just so you know what's coming, we're going to do one more in Ripple Effect next weekend, all kind of this, this weekend and next weekend straddling Thanksgiving. And then we're going to pause Ripple Effect until about February. And what we'll be doing is we'll be moving into a Christmas series, which is such a great time for you to invite friends, family, people that are disconnected from God and or church to come to church with you. So we'll have a special Christmas series, Christmas at Rockbridge, and, and then we're going to also have a New Year series as well. And then we'll resume Ripple Effect and, and keep pressing through that around February of 2023, Lord willing. So today we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the back half of that incredible chapter. And I don't know if you've ever said this or thought this about something, but you've said, hey, well, it could be worse or it could have been worse. We're going to see a, a phrase similar to that in, uh, in 1 Corinthians. But when, if I were to say to you, hey, man, I, my friends or my family or my kids are in church and they're listening to the Word of God and they're taking the Lord's Supper, and then, I would, and, then, and then we said, well, it could be worse. What could be worse from a spiritual perspective from being in church, being in the Word of God, observing the Lord's Supper? And, and that's really where we're gonna talk, what we're going to talk about today because what's happened in chapter 11 that's different from where Paul has been up until that point is chapter 11 starts dealing with issues in corporate gathered worship services. Last week, we talked about the blurring of gender lines, which Paul said we don't do that because male and female expresses the image of God, and that's who we are. Today, we're going to talk specifically about the Lord's Supper, but the, the statement I want you to hear to set this up is, what could be worse than taking the Lord's Supper? What could be worse than being in church? What could be worse than reading the Word of God from a spiritual perspective? Here's how Paul phrases it, verse 17, chapter 11. Now, in giving this instruction, I do not praise you since you come together, not for the better. So you gather together in church like many of us are this morning and this weekend. You gather together, not for the better, but for the worse. Now, to understand what, what could be worse than meeting together in church, we have to understand where, where Paul is going and what he has in mind. So later on, we're going to read this later, verse 27 he talks about taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. In verse 29, he talks about taking the Lord's Supper without recognizing what he calls the body of Christ in such a way that it brings judgment on people. So Paul ha has a very high bar understanding of, of, our, of what Christianity is, 
Paul has a very high understanding of what happens when we do things like read the Word of God, pray, fast, and in this case, observe the Lord's Supper. And, and to get that and, and to really get what true Christianity is, we're going to go back in some verses that we looked at several weeks ago. But before we do that, let me stop, okay? Everybody, you don't even have to be a Christian, but everybody here has a view of what it means to be a Christian. We have, we have maybe a definition or a description of what we, of what we mean, of what we think it means when we say, hey, that person's a Christian or I'm a Christian. Paul's going to kind of give us his view, and, and when you get his view, then you'll begin to understand what could be worse than merely just taking the Lord's Supper. So if we backtrack a little bit <coughs> in chapter 10, it says this, the cup of blessing, talking about the gospel and salvation, that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? So he's talking about real participation inside, in Christ, and, and enjoying Christ, having relationship with Christ. In, in 923, he says, I do all this because of the gospel that I may share in the blessings. So he's talking about that when we unite by faith uh, in Christ, and when we get born again, we give Jesus, we say it in a lot of different ways. We say, I'm going to follow Christ. I surrender my life to Christ. I gave my life to Christ. I gave this steering wheel of my life to Christ. What Paul is saying is when that happens, we begin and we enter into a real participation, a real sharing. I'm going to use the word communion because another name for what we're talking about today, the Lord's Supper, is communion, a real communion with Christ. It is not just being a Christian is not just doing some good things. It's not just following some rules. At its core, it's communion with God. Another biblical author, Peter, says this, Christ suffered for sins once for all. That's the cross, Good Friday, Easter. The righteous, Jesus, for the unrighteous, you and I, that he might bring us to God. That the goal of the gospel, listen, the goal of the gospel is not to go to heaven when you die. The goal of the gospel is not to get forgiveness of your sins and escape the punishment of God and, and, and to miss hell. The goal of the gospel is we get God. We are restored to God in relationship, in fellowship, in communion with God. So, so let's say it this way. Communion with God is the goal of creation. God created Adam and Eve in his image to walk with him in the garden to be on mission with him throughout the world, and to enjoy him without the pain and sorrow of alienation from him. But we freely chose alienation when we rebelled against God, and so God purposed a path or plan of salvation and redemption, and what the goal of redemption is, is to restore communion back to us. So the goal and the point of Christianity is communion with God. J.I. Packer says it this way, communion with God is the definition of Christianity. A relationship with God. A personal relationship with God. <coughs> knowing God. Not knowing about God, but knowing God. In communion is the goal and the point and the definition of Christianity. A, a working definition of that might be God... Communion is this, God communicating or presenting himself to us in holy love and us responding in faith and with joy to him and his offer of fellowship or his offer of relationship. That's communion. 
That's communion. <clears throat> That's the point. So back to what when Paul is saying, hey, the way you're taking the Lord's Supper, the way you're gathering together is not good. You know, we're in the Bible Belt. Right? Man, they're in church. That's great. They're in the Bible. That's great. They took communion. That's great. They sang some worship songs. That's great. What could be worse than that is going through the motions but missing God. Going through the religious motions, going through spiritual rituals, but missing God. That's what could be worse. That, that the point of the Lord's Supper, as we're going to see, is that we would experience real communion with God. The point of reading the Bible is not so you can say, hey, I read the Bible, but so you can say, hey, I met with God, I communed with God through the Word of God. And so going through the motions is what's happening in Corinth. In fact, they're doing more than going through the motions. They're hijacking the meaning of communion, as we'll see. But what could be worse is for us to go through the motions but miss God. So it's one thing for us to celebrate who's in church. It's one thing for us to celebrate, hey, we're doing time with God. But let's not miss the goal and let's not miss God because God is the goal. God is the gospel. God, God, Christ died to bring us back to God. And through communion, through the Lord's Supper, through so many different things, we get to enjoy God. We get to have communion with God. So let's see how Paul unpacks this. Here's what he says. <coughs> Excuse me. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church... There are divisions among you, and I in part believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you so that those who approve may be recognized among you. It, most, a lot of biblical scholars believe this verse right here, verse 19, is Paul being sarcastic. He's saying, look, you're coming together to self-promote. You're coming together to celebrate social standing, to be recognized by, by different people. Oh, look, he's in church. Oh, there. That's what, he, that's what he said. When you come together, then it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. You are not here to commune with God. You are not here to enjoy God, experience God, relate to God, fellowship with God, find joy in God, find hope in God, find peace in God. You're not here to love God back. Why are we here today? Are we here going through the motions and missing God? So that's where Paul's at with them. He says, "For this, here's what's going on. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper. I'll unpack this in just a minute. So one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Here's what's going on. Let's say the church services occurred on Sunday morning in the city of Corinth, maybe Saturday night, but let's say that's when they occurred, okay? And their house church model or a multi-site model throughout the city of, of Corinth, that's what we believe <coughs> historically. So you had wealthy people who could get to the church service early, go through the, 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 the church fellowship supper line, and, and, and fill themselves up and take all the best seats and then move into the Lord's Supper, would not wait on the working class folk, maybe the blue-collar folks, would not work with people who didn't have a day off, because back then there was, there's no legal day off. And these people sort of just, this, this other group would just sort of come in, get the leftovers, half the groups already took the Lord's Supper, half the groups already drunk, from, you know, pre presumably from the Lord's Supper, and it just is like a big 
hot mess, and it doesn't reflect the unity that we have in Christ, the love that we're to show, the love of Christ to one another. It's just a big disunified mess. It makes the church look nothing, it makes the church look more like the world than it should, and it humiliates the poor. And so Paul says, hey, what should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. I do not praise you at all in this matter. So what was happening in Corinth is this. The Lord's Supper no longer reflected the church's need for Jesus and his achievement. Instead, it was being used to self-promote and segregate based on economic, socioeconomic, job type status. So they've hijacked the Lord's Supper. Now, what we want to do this morning and this weekend and this evening at all our, at our different locations, we have three, two, three days of worship and online. So however, whenever you're watching this, what we want to happen is to understand how do we go through the Lord's Supper, not go through the motions of the Lord's Supper. So it's not really the Lord's Supper we're taking. It's just meaningless stuff because it doesn't reflect the reality of the gospel. How do we not do that? How do we get God? How do we experience God? How do we commune with God through the Lord's Supper? And, and, and we, could, we could say, how do we commune with God through the Word of God? How do we commune with God through prayer? But we're going to talk about specifically because it's where the text is. How do we commune with God through the Lord's Supper? And, and the first thing is this, it's a contrast. So the Corinthians were coming to church for, and they were takers. They were taking. They wanted status. They were self-seeking. And that doesn't jive with what Jesus did on the gospel because what Jesus did on the gospel, Philippians 2 says, he emptied himself, became, was made nothing so he could take our sins upon himself. It's a beautiful, marvelous display of self-giving love. So the first thing we need to understand, and we're taking the Lord's Supper at all our locations and online as well uh, th this weekend. The first thing we have to do is we need to marvel. And I want to use that word. We need to marvel at the self-giving love of Christ. That left by ourselves, we are takers. Left by ourselves, we're selfish people. The Corinthians were being selfish. The Corinthians were, be, were self-promoters. The Corinthians were, were putting themselves at the center instead of Jesus at the center. <coughs> and if we're going to ever experience communion with God, we have to be in awe of the self-giving nature of the love that he displayed on the cross, where the wrath of God, the justice of God, and the love of God all are perfectly displayed and perfectly satisfied and perfectly offered to the world. Now, here's one thing we need to think about. If the goal is communion with God and, and sitting at the Lord's Supper or, taking the, or sitting at the table with God in fellowship, because we're, we're in the context of a meal, there can be enemies at the table that can keep us from experiencing God's presence, that can keep us from experiencing God. These enemies can creep into a church just like they did at Corinth. And so it's not really the Lord's Supper you're taking. You're not really fellowshipping with God and communing with God. It's really an ego dance. So the first enemy that comes up here that can be at our table is the enemy of social status where we begin to look at ourselves through the lens of what other people think of us. And we don't live for the audience of one. We live for human approval. Maybe we're overcome with fear of people or fear of man. Maybe we compare ourselves to other people. <coughs> 
Maybe the biggest thing that we're worried about is what does that person think of me? And we're filled with either smugness and pride and self-promotion or the opposite, but we're still worried about our status is we're insecure and we're afraid. Instead of resting in what Christ has done, instead of getting our status from the gospel, we're seeking to get our status from our culture and our social structures that we're a part of. We, we reject the, the concept that the ground at the foot of the cross is level. And, and so social status, what people think of me, what people say about me, who's liking me, who's disliking me, who do I have to please tomorrow to feel good about myself, all of that robs us of communion with God, which was won for us by the achievement of Jesus on the cross. Now, it's helpful to understand the two things that Satan wants to do to rob you and I of true Christianity, which is communion with God. Two things he wants to do, and he does it with God's grace. The first thing he does is he makes grace seem unremarkable. This had to be part of what was happening at Corinth, because instead of marveling at the fact that God had made a way to accept sinners back into his family, to bring rebels back into holy communion with himself, they found that so unremarkable that they would rather pursue social status with other human beings rather than enjoy their status as a gift from God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Satan wants to make us seem unremarkable. So anytime the grace of God seems meh to you or to me, that should be a warning sign to you and me. Anytime the Lord's Supper becomes just a ritual or something, oh, that's just something Christians do, rather than a God that we commune with, we need to be concerned that Satan is doing something with grace in our souls. The second thing Satan does is he makes grace seem unavailable. <coughs> he makes grace seem unavailable. God could not love someone like you, forgive someone like you. God's done with someone like you. So he does one of two things, make it seem unremarkable, and make it seem unavailable. Now, what's the remedy? What's the re what does Paul say is the remedy? He doesn't just wag his finger at them and scold them. So they've got a gospel problem. They've got a gospel misunderstanding. They're going through the motions and missing God. So what does he do? He reminds them of what Jesus did for them, and Jesus specifically ordained a specific action that we do that nurtures and fosters communion with him and reflects the gospel back to our soul in the Lord's Supper. So he reminds them, he says, listen, for I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So there's a seriousness and an importance about the Lord's Supper that sometimes it's easy to miss if it's just, oh, that's just something Christians do. So what Paul teaches us and shows us that when we take the Lord's Supper, there's a lot of things going on. The first is this. We are recounting and retelling objective, historical, factual truth. And I'll tell you why this is so important in our communion with God. Because have you ever just said, man, I don't feel God? 
Have you ever just said, I don't feel like a Christian? Or said, I don't feel holy joy? Or, 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 you know, and, and we get so emotional and we get so subjective. And our perspective can be skewed. Our perspective of ourselves, our perspective of God. Well, so the reason we start with objective historical factual truth where Paul says, I received from the Lord what I passed on to you is that, listen, our belief and our fellowship with God is not based on how I feel in the moment. It's based on what Christ accomplished and did for me on Good Friday through Easter Sunday. And that's historical, which means it's unchangeable. So I could wake up and say something like crazy, like, hey, I don't feel like an American today. Whatever that means, right? And you would say, no, 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 Matt, where were you born and where's your citizenship? Well, you are an American, right? And, and, and so you could say, I don't feel God today. I don't feel like God loves me today. I don't feel like God's proud of me. I don't feel like God wants me in my or I mean, I feel like God's abandoned me. Or I feel like God's not there. I feel like God's distant. And Paul would say, listen, 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 listen. Let me show you why none of those things are true. And he would point to bloody Jesus on a rugged cross on a Friday for six hours outside of Jerusalem. And then he would point to an empty tomb and say, none of that's true. Don't, do what you, don't go with what you feel. Go with what's real. So that's an important part of the Lord's Supper. And then some other things come out. We remember what he's done. We, it's, it's an act of remembering. One of our great enemies to communion with God is spiritual amnesia. We celebrate the new covenant. He says this is the new covenant, right? The old covenant was a covenant of laws and rituals. The old covenant <coughs> was more external. And the new covenant is written on our hearts where the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of us. We become the temple of God, new desires and real communion. We can call God Abba Father. So we celebrate that. All of that is in the Lord's Supper. This is way more than just a religious ritual that we do once a month or once a week or once a quarter or whatever. We proclaim the gospel to ourselves. We preach to ourselves the truth of what Jesus has accomplished. And we anticipate he's coming back. And so we feed our hope that, hey, the best is yet to come. All that's going on during the Lord's Supper. So if we're taking the Lord's Supper and not going through the motions... All of this is occurring and being spoken to, to our mind and to our souls through the physical actions of the Lord's Supper. And then Jesus, by faith, is present with us in the Lord's Supper. He's present through his past accomplishment. He's present through the future grace that we're waiting for in hope. And that comes to bear and, and bear fruit to us in the present, that we have hope in the present based on what he's promised to do because he's done all that's necessary for us to be sons and daughters. And so Christ is present with us, communing with us through the action of the Lord's Supper. And this reminds us of something so incredibly important as Christ followers is that we never, ever graduate from the gospel. I, I've told you this. I, I've said, hey, one of the big things, one of the big themes of our church right now is we want to be a radically gospel-centered church. We're not a politically-centered church. We're not a denominationally-centered church. We're not, you know, a church of this pet project or this social issue. We are fundamentally centered upon the gospel. And that's what Paul does. He goes, look, I can't praise you for what you're doing, but the solution to the problem is to come back to the gospel. 
that all problems are really gospel problems with gospel solutions. But understand, and let's understand this, that the Lord's Supper is a really, really big deal. That the Lord's Supper properly observed. You can do the Lord's Supper, but, but Scripture might say you're not really taking the Lord's Supper because you're just going through the motions. But properly observed brings gospel renewal to us. It does that to the individual, and it does it to our community. <coughs> and then we experience communion with God by faith through the Holy Spirit. The Lord's Supper is a means of connecting to Christ and communing with Him. Now, there's an enemy at the table that can rob us of this. We've talked about one. Here's another enemy, this idea of cheap grace. Cheap grace, easy believism that minimizes the holiness of God, that minimizes the wrath of God, the justice of God, and thus, ironically, minimizes the love of God. And so what we see when Paul goes through what he received and what he passed on to us, he brings up the broken body. He brings up the shed blood. It's costly grace that our soul needs to assure us of who we are. It's costly grace that wins for us access to God that gives us the opportunity to experience communion with God. This is not cheap freedom. This is costly, costly grace. It cost the Lord Jesus his very life. And the more we understand the cost, the more we appreciate the grace, the more we push forward to enjoy the communion. Now he's going to talk about why we need to understand costly grace. Because look, he says, whoever then eats the bread, drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner can miss God in church. You can miss God in Bible reading. You can miss God in the Lord's Supper, and that is worse. So don't miss God. So don't, so he says, done in an unworthy manner is going to be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. So it's serious. Because we're after serious joy and real communion with a real holy God. So he says this. Here's what we need to do. He, get, he doesn't just leave them hanging. He says, so let a person examine himself, and in this way let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. So he says, examine, and then partake, share, commune, enjoy, experience God through the Lord's Supper. Now let's, let's, let's do a couple of things to ensure clarity. So whenever we put this word up, some people don't see what, don't hear unworthy manner. They see I'm an unworthy individual. Here's what we need to understand. Unworthy manner is not talking about an unworthy person. He's not talking about that. So what he's actually saying to the Corinthian church is before you go forward with the Lord's Supper, examine yourself. And you're not examining yourself for perfection but rather for recognition of the need of Jesus' perfection. You're looking at your life. You're looking at your church family. And you're saying, where do I need the costly, blood-bought grace of Jesus in my life? 
Where do I need it in my soul? Where is it not manifesting in my church family? And so you're examining yourself not to say, man, I'm perfect and I'm, and I'm, and I'm righteous, but you're examining yourself to say, where do I need to celebrate what Jesus has done? Where do I need to receive in this moment what Jesus has already done? That's the purpose of this examination. So here's a couple of questions as we're examining ourselves. Where is the blood brought costly grace of Jesus needed? And then how can I celebrate what Christ has done and provided at great cost to himself? All of that is going on. Why? Because it's communing with God. Jesus, here's where I need you. Jesus, here's where I need you. Jesus on Wednesday, man, I got caught up in the quarterly sales meeting and I started to believe that I am how I perform at my job. And I got anxious and I got scared and then I looked at the numbers, and then I got a little proud. Jesus, I need to be reminded of who I am because of the blood you shed to bring me into communion with you. Now we're communing with God through the blood-bought achievements and grace of Jesus. How can I celebrate what Christ has done and provide it? What benefit? What blessing of the cross do I need to praise God, thank God, and receive afresh from God today? So part of communing with God is we're going to have to embrace the call for serious self-examination. I'm convinced more and more people resist this. I resist because we're, it's kind of like when you go to the dentist and you haven't been for a long time, what are they going to find? You know? But serious self-examination in the gospel-shaped mirror, in light of the costly grace of Jesus, sets us up to enjoy God more. When you find an area of your life that needs grace, yes, it takes humility to admit that. But once you do that, you receive blessing and you receive more of God than you had before. And thus, self-examination is a path to produce real-time fellowship and communion with God. But there's two enemies at the table that would rob us of this aspect of our communion. The first is a religious spirit. A religious spirit puts the emphasis on what you need to do or what you have done. You can know you have a religious spirit working against you is if you feel better than other people, smug, proud, self-righteous, or if you feel less than and unworthy of God's love, or you look at other people and say, man, they're a better Christian than me. That's non-gospel. That's non-gospel. That's unbiblical. I'll go so far as to call it satanic. It's an enemy at the table, a religious spirit that emphasizes what you have done or what you need to do over what Christ has done and promises to do by faith, that works against real communion with the real God of the cross, the real God of the Bible, the real God who wants communion with us. The second enemy that can be at the table is hurry. I'm convinced no relationship, whether it's with your spouse or your kids, can be microwaved. So a relationship communion with the God of the Bible, hurry is an enemy 
that'll rob us of real meaningful communion. I'm convinced in our life we've got to find time to slow down to be with God. And that's part of the goal of even this weekend's worship service as we're going to take the Lord's Supper together in a few moments. Paul continues, he says, listen, for whoever, this, this is going, he's, he's emphasizing now the need for self-examination. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, this is crazy. This is hard to believe, but look what he says, and we've got to honor the word of God. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. Now, don't, we cannot draw a universal principle from here, but he's saying, listen, there's some people in the church at Corinth who have already died, and some who are sick because they are going through the motions and missing God. He says, if you were properly judging yourselves, then we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. He's, all he's saying is this. There are some people who are continuing in their sin pattern. They're continuing to miss the point of Christianity going through the motions, taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, and what God has done to, to kind of slow that down or prevent that from becoming pervasive throughout the church is some have gotten sick and some have actually died. So, so let, me, let me answer this, or let me kind of address this, because it's kind of hard and maybe controversial. What's worse than dying prematurely or dying early, in, in however society would define that? Continuing is in sin and sinful patterns. So the way Paul presents this is it's an act of mercy for God to take some believers home, maybe quote-unquote early, rather than they move on and get further swallowed up in the world. That's the way Paul presents it. I don't know how to say it in a clearer manner, but don't miss the point. If we are properly examining ourselves so that we maximize communion with God, and when you maximize communion with God, you will always minimize the sin going on in your life, and, that, and the goal of Christianity is communion with God. So properly examine yourself so God doesn't feel, doesn't in his sovereignty and in his grace and mercy, doesn't, believe, doesn't think, man, I've got to slow them down and pull them out. That's the importance of self-examination. And then he closes and he says, okay, brothers, when you come together to eat, take care of one another, wait for one another, welcome one another. If anybody is hungry, he should eat at home so that when you gather together, you're not coming to judgment. He says, I will give you instructions about other matters whenever I come. So all, all he's saying is this, when you come together, be the church. And you know what makes the church the church? It's not that we all have the same income. It's not that we all have the same skin color or voted the same way in the last election. What makes the church the church is we've all tasted and seen that the Lord is good through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've all received the achievement, the accomplishment by faith of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And God has brought us to himself and we are centered upon Jesus Christ. So, so the third way for communion of God is we marvel at the miracle of church and then we reflect the self-giving love of Christ to others. He doesn't shut the church down. He doesn't say don't take the Lord's Supper. He's like, just get right in how you do it. Quit going through the motions. Quit you know, rushing to the front of the line, getting drunk, ignoring the fact that some of the poorer Christians are going to be a little bit later. Wait on everybody. Welcome everybody. Reflect the gospel horizontally 
and love each other with the same love that Christ loved you with. Reflect the self-giving love of Christ to others. And that brings us to the final enemy at the table, which I, I really believe keeps a lot of people from communion with God. It's unpursued reconciliation. So let me back up. They were not doing this. That's why Paul wrote this last half of, 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 of Corinthians 11, is they were not reflecting self-giving love. They, they become self-promoters and self-seekers, not self-givers. And so he's like, hey, get that right. Start welcoming one another. Start reflecting gospel love into your fellowship, into your, into your family. And, and so what he's saying is, look, you and I, we have to pursue reconciliation with other people horizontally because God pursued reconciliation with us vertically and he did it at great cost to himself so the Lord's Supper reflects the miracle of the church the Lord's Supper reflects that the gospel if the gospel can reconcile sinners to a holy God the gospel can also reconcile sinners with sinners so it, it, before you take the Lord's Supper part of examination would be am I harboring bitterness unforgiveness cynicism frustration toward someone else and if so have I pursued reconciliation with them in the name of Jesus because communion with God enables us to have communion with one another and a unity with one another that trumps all other divisions and brings people together so what we're going to do now is I'm going to just pray our campus pastors and Online pastor, they're going to come up and lead a time of prayer and reflection and self-examination. And then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together in a manner that recognizes the body of Christ so that we experience the whole point of Christianity and the cross, communion with God. Let's pray together. God, as we prepare to go into the Lord's Supper and we prepare to have this time, I just want to pray, God, that if there's any enemies at our table that are blocking sweet, incredible, intimate communion with you, we would ask those enemies to leave in the name of Jesus. Some of us, that means we need to repent. Some of us, that means we need to recognize the truth of the gospel. Some of us, that means we just need to receive afresh, Jesus, what you have given at great cost to yourself. Holy Spirit, would you guide this time and bless your church as we come to your table to have communion with you. In your name we pray, King Jesus. Amen.